0: Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the
1: Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores
0: some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon patreon.com slash gathering gold.
1: To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at wisdom of anxiety and I am at perennials podcast Thank you for listening So Cheryl today we are going to talk about dream work which as you said a moment ago is a very juicy topic and we've talked about doing an episode about dreams I think from the very from the very beginning of, Imagining what the podcast could be, we we talked about oh dreams that could be a really juicy topic, and I think what spurred it this time was that I I texted you one morning that I finally had a good dream because I tend to have really intense, often scary, sad, even violent or disturbing dreams, mm. and I woke up one morning and I had had a delightful dream that i was at a, a donut shop and these cheerful uh shop clerks were giving me free samples of donuts and decaf iced coffee and and then they said oh you got to check out the other donut shop down the pier near the ocean and i go there and it's a lord of the rings donut shop lord of the rings themed and it's called <laughs> mordor donuts and it was just beautiful and happy mm. And I think when I texted you about it, you asked me like, oh, what's your association with donuts? And so we talked a little bit about it. But I wanted to bring that to you because I know that you are fascinated by dreams, that Mm. you write down your dreams, that you talk about dreams at the breakfast table. And you shared a really kind of funny, interesting story with me as we were prepping for this episode that surprised me, but I was so happy to hear about a conversation that you had with Jeremy Taylor about dream work and dream interpretation. And I'm wondering if you could share that story, maybe for people who don't know, who was Jeremy Taylor and what was that conversation that you had? Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad we're starting with Jeremy Taylor,
0: and I feel like I want to dedicate this whole episode to him. Um, He has – by far been the most influential person for me in terms of working with my dreams. And that's including going to graduate school at Pacifica for dreams, basically. I mean, it was for being a therapist, but so much of the focus was on dream work and symbolism and mythology. But it was Jeremy who I met in 2015 um, at a very small workshop dream circle weekend that he was leading here in Boulder that just kind of cracked open to help me crack open to a new level and a new way of not necessarily understanding dreams, but befriending dreams, maybe. And I had a few individual sessions with him. Um, He is now passed on. He died a few years ago. He was in his 70s. And in this first Zoom session we did, and I was so excited to have the opportunity to sit with him and to bring dreams to him and to have this dialogue and this back and forth and kind of pick his mind. And and I said to him maybe halfway through the session, I said, Jeremy, I have to tell you when I'm working with clients and they bring a dream to me, I'm so excited because I, I love working with dreams. But as I start to share the dream, and I even felt it right now as you were sharing the donut dream. I have this deer in the headlights experience like, what? I have no clue whatsoever what this dream means. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's like someone's coming to me like I'm a psychic and I'm supposed to foretell their future and I'm supposed to like read the tea leaves and read the dream symbols and read the mythology and read the... And I just go blank. And he looks at me, and this is a man in his 70s who had been doing dream work for forty years, and he said, "Oh me too." And it was one of those incredibly validating moments when one of your mentors and heroes admits to their own vulnerability and the own their own um, humility in the vastness of the psyche, right acknowledging that. Nobody knows anything really about anything. You know, we 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 maybe understand the tip of an iceberg, but there's this whole iceberg underneath the surface that we just don't really understand. And then when we make room for not knowing, then we do understand something, something comes through. There's an aha moment. One of the things that Jeremy Taylor always said is one of one of his trademark lines was the only reliable interpretation of a dream is the dreamer's own aha experience. So, you could be Joseph Campbell, you could be Marion Woodman, you could be Jeremy Taylor, sitting with someone's dream and have the most brilliant interpretation, but if it doesn't land with the dreamer, it just falls flat. Who cares? Right? It's the dreamer's own dream and you know when you bring some an idea, oh, I'm this is my association or you know, this is what teeth often represent, or this is what falling out of the sky in an airplane could mean, or this is what death in dreams often represents. And you can see in the person the aha. It's like the light bulbs and the synapses and everything kind of firing up. And it's an amazing moment. It's an amazing moment in your own self to feel that. And it's an amazing moment when you're working with somebody um, to – to help somebody arrive at that place where some pieces just kind of lock in right, and fit together for that moment in time anyway.
1: That's so great. And you shared with me a little section from your Grace Through Uncertainty course, which your the registration's open now for a new round. And there's a section about dream work. And you shared some of that with me. And there's uh, an interview with Jeremy Taylor that you link to in that section and I, I watched it. It was really interesting. And something that he said really stuck out to me. Mm. He said, curiosity is the highest order spiritual emotion that we are capable of. I'll say that again. Oh. Curiosity is the highest order spiritual emotion that we are capable of. One of the things I love about Jeremy Taylor
0: is that he brings dream work into the realm of spirituality in a very accessible, non-dogmatic, non-religious kind of way. So you might be having a religious experience or a spiritual experience working with dreams, but it's one of the things I loved about him And one of the things I love about working with dreams is that it's like to bring curiosity into the spiritual realm, that's such an amazing quote, right? And to acknowledge that dreams are of the divine. And he just had this way of languaging it that made it feel non-threatening and helped people access this very spiritual, soulful realm without ever using the word God. And this is the quote from the Grace Through Uncertainty course. And the reason I include dreams is because it's one of my favorite ways to connect to something bigger than ourselves, that sense of awe. Like if you really stop to think about dreams and how wild and bizarre and creative they are, and I think it was Jeremy Taylor who used to say, like, who thinks of this stuff? Like, you know, like, like and he had all these great phrases, like the producers and directors in your brain and the casting agent and, you know, and, oh, they cast your mother in the role of the princess or whatever, <laughs> it's like, and we have this whole theatrical experience and this whole archetypal experience happening every single night. And we tend to just wake up And ignore them and brush them off. And within a few minutes, really, if you don't take the time to record it in some way, they disappear. They just vaporize, right? And so he says, and this is just such a beautiful quote of his, dreams are a seemingly inexhaustible font of creative energy in my life. And if you want to cultivate a conscious awareness of the presence of the divine in your life, then one of the best ways to do it is to pay attention to creation, to the vastness of nature and the cosmos on the one hand, and to our own and other people's creative expression on the other. And if we do those two things simultaneously, a felt sense of the presence of the divine is a reliably predictable
1: consequence. I love that because... It speaks to why, you know, if you have curiosity, I really think you talk about curiosity so much when it comes to anxiety and just getting to know ourselves. It can be so scary to be curious because it means being open and exploring and maybe discovering something new. And I think people can get, we, you know, like myself included, we can get so afraid of but what am I going to discover and how might I be changed? And it can be really scary. But that curiosity, it's like that's why Jeremy Taylor can say, oh, I never know what someone's dream is about because he's curious. If he just had an answer right away, that would mean he had no curiosity. That's right. And it makes me think of Paul McCartney. So, of course, the famous Beatle, the musician, he – is 80 years old now. He just played a concert in New Jersey like right before his 80th birthday. My brother was there. And he's like, he strikes me as such a curious person because he's still like doing Mm. these things that he loves and trying new things. And two of his most famous songs came to him in dreams. Mm. And he said, I think a lot of people dream about music, but not everybody remembers it. And what's fascinating is it was his song Yesterday. And his song, Mm -hmm. Let It Be. And Let It Be, he said, he was going through a stressful time in his life. And he went to sleep and he had a dream that his mother, who had died 10 years before when he was just a teenager, came to him and said, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Just let it be. Mm. And he woke up and he thought, oh, my gosh, my mother came to me. And like, that's such an interesting phrase. I've never heard. I'm going to write a song. Oh. And with the song Yesterday, which we all know is the sad kind of, it sounds like a breakup song that he had written a few years before that, a lot of his fans kept saying, is that song really about the death of your mother? Mm. Like why she had to go, I don't know, she wouldn't say. Mm. Because it's just like there's something so bittersweet and mournful about that song. And for years he said, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then Mm. later he said, yep, yesterday came to me in a dream, the melody, the melody, I kept trying to figure out what song it was. Eventually, I thought, I guess it's mine, and he said, years later, I think that was about my mother, Mm. so like this visitation in his dream from his mother, you know, and just that creativity, like being open and curious and taking that, remembering it from his dream and then turning it into this art and something that, you know, these songs that we love so much. I love that example. I love that too.
0: And it speaks to how our dreams can be these fountains, these these wellsprings of creative inspiration and also spiritual comfort because I think most of us have had dreams about someone who's departed, right? And it, and it's I know when I dream about my grandparents, it feels like I'm with my grandparents. And yes, when I wake up, there's the oh, like the thud of the longing that they're no longer here, and I can't just show up at their house. But there's also that feeling of I just spent a couple hours with my grandparents and I got to see them again. But this is where I think it gets tricky for people because dreams exist on so many layers, and in that place of curiosity that you were speaking to that also can touch on fear because, oh my gosh, what am I going to find? And if I spend time with my dreams, what will I learn about myself? And the confusion around discerning dreams that have a more literal interpretation, like maybe I just did spend a couple hours with my grandparents. I don't know. Maybe my soul met their soul somewhere. I don't know. And then Jeremy Taylor would always say dreams exist on multiple levers, levels of meaning, multiple layers. They're not just one, and it really helps with the anxious, sensitive black and white brain that wants to pin down. No, it's one thing and it's one interpretation. No, it's actually many, many different levels and layers of meaning and interpretation, one of which is going to be the metaphoric. And so dreaming about, you know having sex with somebody else can be very triggering, especially if you're suffering from relationship anxiety or having sex with the different sex of the person that you're with or the orientation that you are can be very triggering if you struggle with the gay spike or the straight spike, so the sexual orientation spike. And so people want to push, shove that aside right? and not, Even look twice because to wake up from a dream like that can feel so scary and alarming if you take it at face value. And this is why I often make the link between dream work, dreams, and intrusive thoughts because they're both coming from the unconscious and they both speak the same language, which is the language of metaphor. We are not meant to take any of it really at face value right? And so I think it's fair to say, just take all your dreams as metaphor. If dream work feels scary to you, take it all as metaphor. You don't ever need to even uh, assume that it's a literal interpretation or a visitation or this or that. Assume it's all metaphor because on one level, I think it is. And then we're in a whole different realm where we can be intensely curious, right? And say, okay, so what is the metaphor around sex? Well, sex is the deepest union. What am I longing to unite with inside of my own self? What qualities does that person represent from a Jungian terminology, an anima or an animus figure, the masculine or feminine side of me that I'm longing to introject, to unite with in my own self? And then we're having an entirely different conversation, right? That's a lot less scary.
1: I think for myself, I I feel like I've needed to be in a more solid place to be able to bring that curiosity and openness and playfulness to dreams because when I'm in like deep periods of time when I've been just completely overtaken by anxiety, it's been too much. And yes. I have an example from an email exchange between you and I in 2016. Okay. Can Ooh, I share pen. it? yes <laughs> okay so i wrote to you almost exactly six years ago on mm. june june 13th 2016 i said hi aunt cheryl i, I still called you aunt cheryl very formal oh sweet <laughs> you were in my dream the other night and it was quite a strange vivid dream i know how much you like dream work so i thought you might be interested in hearing it I was at your house in Colorado, though of course it didn't look exactly like it does in real life. You and I were sitting on a bed chatting when you suddenly got this odd look on your face and you started to move strangely. I slowly realized why. There was a big orange snake sliding up from under the covers of the bed. Hmm. It slid up your back and then onto the floor. Then I realized there were two snakes wrapped around my legs. I tried to stay relaxed so that they wouldn't bite me. Eventually, they crawled off, but there were more snakes. Every time someone opened the back door of the house, snakes would come in and wrap themselves around me, and I would be terrified, though they never actually bit me. Eventually, you said with a shrug, well, none of us are allergic to snakes around here, with this very non-resistant, accepting attitude. All I felt was fear and disgust and resistance. But they're Mm. snakes. What if they bite me? I hate them. I want them to go away. I often can't remember my dreams, but this one really stuck with me. The feelings of fear and disgust that I felt towards those snakes was so visceral that I woke up and for a moment felt like I would never be able to even look at a photo of a snake again. Mm. I saw a huge rat snake on a hike recently, so that might have planted the image of the snake in my mind, but it was really those feelings of fear, powerlessness, and resistance that struck me. And then you... I'm dying to know what I said (laughs) because right now
0: I'm like, no no clue. (laughs) I know. You probably got that email like, what do you want from me,
1: Victoria? What did my 2016 (laughs) self say? You said, hi, Victoria. What a powerful dream. Here's what comes to mind. And I interpret dreams through the format of if this were my dream as it's really all just my projections. Notice what stands out as an aha moment for you. If it were my dream, I would ask, what does Colorado and my aunt and uncle there represent to me? Maybe it represents some freedom, clarity of mind, feeling loved. Snakes usually represent some aspect of sexuality, and in the dream, I'm sitting with my aunt on a bed, which is also a symbol of sexuality and dreams. The snakes are under the covers, undercover, how is my sexuality undercover, and they're Hmm. also wrapped around my legs. They're orange, which often represents joy and deep emotion. I'm trying to stay relaxed, but I'm terrified. Is there a new aspect of my sexuality, one that could bring joy that is trying to emerge that I'm scared of embracing? My aunt embraces the snakes, no resistance. Do I see her as someone who embraces sexuality and understands that it can't hurt anyone? I'm scared and also disgusted, which could speak to some shame and disgust I have around my sexuality. The snake is also a biblical symbol and from a Christian perspective is associated with evil and temptation. But from a feminist perspective, the snake in the Garden of Eden is associated with wisdom and power and also sexuality. The snake wakes us up to our wisdom and invites us on a new path of growth. Anything, Rena Bell? I had a very short response. I said, that's a really interesting analysis. I know that much of the imagery in my dream is traditionally seen as representative of sex and sexuality, but for some reason, it just doesn't feel like that to me. It felt more like these snakes were a physical representation of fear in all its forms, and the way that I react to anything, I don't want to happen. But since mm. the snakes were under the covers, it's worth thinking about everything you mentioned. I remember, hmm, this is me now in the present, Yes, I remember seeing the word sexuality and being like, Nope, not going there. Shut it down. <laughs> Scared, scary. No more. No. And I just was like, what does that mean? Like what would I discover about my sexuality? Like what does that mean I'm going to have to break up with Martin because I don't mm. really know my own sexuality like and it was so mm. I remember being so freaked out. I was just like, nope. Not going there. So interesting. Mhm.
0: And as Wise as my pontification sounded? I actually <laughs> <laughs> I actually prefer my two thousand and twenty two response to mm. when you shared the donut dream, which was just put it back on you what's mm. your what's your association to donuts? So if you had sent me that snake dream today, I think I would have responded, "What's your association to snakes? Mm. Mm. And then I think it's a more respectful, response because it would invite you to then go where you're ready to go. And if you're not ready to explore the sexuality possibility, because that could have been totally wrong anyway. Snakes also are are symbols of transformation. Mm. There's the ultimate symbol of shedding the skin, right? Of looking back now of June 2016, It would be interesting for you to chart back what transitions, what transformations Mm. might I have been in that had nothing to do with my sexuality. Mm.
1: Right.
0: But I love that we're having the conversation now because it just shows how there's no right answer to working with dreams and there's really no right way to do it. And I hope that that allays some fear for people that... At the very least, just writing down a dream is working with a dream, Mm -hmm. right? Or sharing a dream with somebody is working with a dream. So when we say dream work, we don't have to be schooled in any kind of – I mean, I'm impressed with my 2016 self (laughs) that I was pulling out like the color orange and like – My 2022, I'm like, really? I didn't know the color orange represented joy. (laughs) Like, did I just look that up on Google that morning? I don't I don't remember knowing that, but you know, I was a little bit more steeped in dream work because this is just a year after. This is right when I was studying with Jeremy Taylor. So I was so much more immersed at that point. But that could have also been a detriment because, like I'm saying, it prevented me from just turning it back to you.
1: It was interesting for me to reflect back on because I think there could have been something to what you're saying, but nothing actually that was like news to me or Mm
0: -hmm. nothing that would have
1: shattered my world, you know? It was just Mm -hmm. like, I think that idea of, of, yeah, just being much more oriented towards fear and kind of closing as opposed to curiosity and opening. Yes. So it was interesting to reflect on that because that wouldn't, that wouldn't throw me off so much now. I don't mm. think, no, mm. you know, just the mere suggestion. But I think it just represents why sometimes people are afraid to, to even go there. And why, honestly, I think at times it was totally fine for me to be like, I'm just going to, I'm not yep. going to, I'm not going to do that right now. Yes. <laughs> and that was yes. okay too. Yes. And for your 24-year-old self Mm -hmm.
0: that could have been exactly the response that was needed. But it's interesting that you took the time. There was something about the dream Mm -hmm. that felt important to you, Mm -hmm. that you shared it with me, that you were wanting something, right? You were wanting some exchange or acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. I might have missed the boat completely in terms of what you were wanting, but there was something in it that felt important, and mm. the thing about dreams is they're kind of time capsules. And you, you can't. I often go back
1: yeah. to dreams
0: I had twenty years ago. Not often, but I sometimes go back because I have dozens of journals. I started writing my dreams down when I was six, hmm. and I had a little. I should have brought it. This is we're on video today. It's. As I still have it. It's this little, like you know, journal that. You used to have when you were a girl with a little lock on the side, Mm -hmm. you know, and it came with a little key. Mm -hmm. And I had one journal that was just for like talking about my day, which was like my diary. And then I had this other dream journal. And there aren't that many entries in it, but, you know, for a six, seven-year-old, however old, it was really young. And I named the journal Dreamus. So every entry (laughs) said, Dear Dreamus. (laughs) (laughs) and I would write down my dream. So, you know, most of the time I have no clue what the dream is pointing to, but if I take any time with it, there's usually one image, um, one piece of instruction, something that if I spend even 10 minutes writing a poem based off of it, or um, you know, just sitting with one of the images, or doing an active imagination, which is a technique that Robert Johnson extrapolates on and really teaches in his book, Inner Work, amazing book on dreams. Those are the two books I would highly recommend for anybody interested, Inner Work by Robert Johnson and um, the Wisdom of Your Dreams by Jeremy Taylor, and so Robert Johnson, who's the Jungian therapist and has written such wonderful books, he, she, and we and in inner work goes into the active imagination process, which is just being creative and having a dialogue or some kind of interaction, a gesture, a dance, a, a drawing with some image in the dream. Mm-hmm. And so when I take the time to do that, almost invariably, some some aha delicious moment arrives that feels so, really just so yummy and so soul nourishing and so um, antithetical to the soullessness of, you know. A lot of the ways that we're spending our time these days, especially on screens and social media, not that that's all soulless, but it certainly can be. And so, again, it's why it's in the Grace Through Uncertainty course, because that course is all about growing regular, meaningful practices that connect us inward to something bigger than ourselves, something that we can call the divine or the creative breath of the universe. And dreams are this very um i think non-triggering way to access these deep reservoirs of wisdom and creativity that we all have everybody dreams everybody dreams
1: June is a particularly potent dream time for me personally, because I think it's so interesting to reflect on how last June, five years after that exchange that you and I had, I had a friend move far away, and I had a dream that I was in a kayak, kayaking behind her. I could just see her back, and then she turned a corner. And when I turned the corner, I didn't see her anymore. She was gone. And the water turned to ice below me. I jumped out Mm -hmm. of the boat. I ran across the ice back to her parents' house where we used to hang out as teenagers in early 20s. Mm -hmm. I get to the door and her dog is there barking and barking. And I have this motif in my dreams of animals nipping at me and they won't Mm -hmm. stop nipping at me. This has gone on for years. And in this dream, for some reason... I looked at the dog and I said, what are you trying to tell me? Mm. And the dog stopped barking, turned around and ran up the staircase in the house. And I followed the dog up the staircase to my friend's bedroom and she was sitting right there. Mm. And I just started to cry. Mm. And she handed me a necklace and I said to her, you've been such a good friend to me. And I held Mm. this necklace and I woke up sobbing Mm -hmm. and it was one of the most powerful healing dreams i've ever had Mm -hmm. i was so grateful that i had that moment in the dream where i was able to say what are you trying to tell me yes and it brought me to this release of gratitude and grief and love yes yes the frozen water, the water that had turned to ice, melted. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, mm. I hadn't even thought of that, but yes. Mm. Because water so often represents emotion. Mm. And so the icy waters, when we shut down and shut off, close down, we turn to ice, we go cold. And then the animal, often representative of our animal, instinctual mm. body, our nature, Tugging you back. Mm. And then you had the wisdom in the dream to say, What do you want? What are you trying to tell me? It's like you were ready. You were ready to know. Mm. It's time to grieve. Mm. Like, such a beautiful, like, like you said, a healing dream. The dream itself. The experience itself, like your psyche walked you through exactly what you needed to yeah. get to.
1: Yeah. I needed a good cry and I woke up with it.
0: (laughs) So good. It's so good. It's one of the things Jeremy Taylor often said was that dreams come in the service of healing and wholeness. And so it helps too with the fear that we have about our dreams. Like, why is my dream torturing me night after night having this dream about somebody else or this dream that someone's going to die or whatever, like our worst, most horrible experiences. And Jeremy Taylor was absolutely insistent in the belief that our psyche or our unconscious is working to our benefit. It might not always feel that way. And I very much hold that at the center of how I work with people, that none of of this is here to torture you. Your anxiety, your intrusive thoughts, your difficult dreams, your nightmares, it's all here in the service of your healing and your wholeness. And so that's a beautiful example. Well, you've now shared two beautiful dreams amidst all of the difficult ones, right? That are more of the par for the course for Victoria's psyche. Um, As they were for me, almost my entire 20s were not just hard dreams, but nightmares, waking up screaming. I mean night after night after night after night waking up screaming and that was you know my tw- my very difficult decade of my 20s full of anxiety panic attacks there was a lot my psyche was trying to tell me and it would be years before I could actually dive into those realms and look at them and in fact just recently starting this past October I decided to do another round of looking at those dreams in particular from my 20s that I have in a notebook, all typed out. They're really difficult to go back into. But like you're saying, there, there has to be enough ego strength. There has to be enough well-being. There has to be enough um, consistency and handholds and footholds hand foot in your life and sources of support, inner and outer to be able to do that, the deep dive work into some of those most
1: difficult dreams. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up because I'm sure many people listening will think, well, that's all well and good when you dream about donuts or this wonderful healing experience. (laughs) But like you said, for me, most of the time I have these violent, devastating, awful Mm. dreams and – it's interesting to me to hear that you had such powerful, terrible nightmares for mm. for so long and that mm-hmm. you've retained that fascination with dreams because it is a horrible experience. And I think for people who experience a lot of anxiety, it's like this ultimate loss of control to go to sleep and be like, I don't know what's yes. going to come up. I think it's what you started with, with that
0: amazing quote about curiosity. Yeah. It's like I am just endlessly, naturally curious about the inner realms, mine and other people's. And so even when it's difficult, and maybe even especially when it's difficult, I'm in the hard, but I'm also, there's one eye watching going, wild, wow, what 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 is going on? And I'm in awe. Of what lives inside of us that is always seeking our attention. And again, it's that framework of for the purpose of healing and wholeness, right? Right. And because that lives so deeply in me, not even, I don't even think of it as a belief, it just is how I see life, right? That we're on this trajectory. Even when things look hard in the outer world, right, I still hold that place of we're still moving in the direction of healing and wholeness, even when it doesn't look that way, even when it doesn't feel that way. And so it is an incredibly helpful mindset to work to adopt, right, of one of curiosity and one of trust in the benevolence, right?
1: of the self, the self with a big S. I'm curious what you see happen for people, clients that you work with one-on-one or in groups and even for yourself. What do you see happen for people when they they do decide to pay some attention to dreams, to write them down and maybe to talk about them with someone? Mm. It's
0: life changing because now, at your disposal nightly, there are these secret letters that are waiting to be opened and waiting to be read and shared with a safe other, with a guide. And even the hard ones contain these pearls of guidance, of wisdom images that you can come back to, right? As, as life rafts, right? As guideposts. Um, for some clients who have a very difficult time accessing their own aliveness and their creativity, dreams, like we talked about in the beginning, are this incredible portal into the creative self. And so I will have a client who has brought a dream and maybe feel stunted or blocked in this way. Um, As homework, take one image from the dream and do something creative with it, whatever that is. Draw it, move with it, paint it, sculpt it, write a poem. Bring it to life. Right, honor it in that way. And suddenly there's this movement, there's this like trickling, there's like the ice that's starting to thaw, starting to warm up, right? Those shut down places inside that the emotional realm, the creative realm that we sometimes shut down often very early in life. And then there's this, okay, I can do that, right? I'm not saying go write a short story, a fiction story, like. Bring it to me in two weeks. No, just take one image. That's all. And start to build a relationship with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, some of my other clients who have been doing deep work for many years will bring a dream every week. And it won't comprise our whole session. But over the course of many years, we start to see patterns. We start to see images and figures that show up repeatedly. And the client now has their um, toolbox, their reservoir of dream figures that they will reference. Oh, remember that dream about the 10-year-old boy in the water, right? Yes, I remember that dream, right? And so curious about why it's coming up right now. So let's explore, oh, that image, for some reason, I'm thinking that that dream is coming up from 2018 when, you know, I was on the roller coaster and the seatbelt was broke, you know, it's like, okay. So there's something, there's something now that's resonant of that time. It just, it brings the work into the body and it brings the work into the soul. And to me, as most people have heard me say many times we don't heal in our heads yes we have to tell our stories yes we need to be seen and heard but healing happens in our bodies and so dreams are one entry point there are many others but they're an entry point into the realm of the body and the soul Back in October, when I was opening up this box again, I had a dream that I had a three year old daughter and she got lost. There was somebody watching her and she turned her back for one second and the girl was gone. And we're at this river and it's this beautiful river and these silver stones and this just like spectacular environment. But I am in terror and I'm also nine months pregnant in the dream. So in the dream, I'm thinking, well, even if I lose this daughter, at least I have a baby coming. But I'm I'm just in terror. And there's this group of men that are looking for the girl and her name is Michael in the dream. This girl's name is Michael and we're calling Michael, Michael. And I'm just, the time goes on this sinking, sinking feeling. She's she's dead. Like there's no other... Existence. The water's rushing. She's dead. And the men are up on this sort of watchtower and they say, come, we have to tell you something. And I'm like, oh my God. And I walk up the stairs and they say, they say, look. And I look out on the edge of the river and I see this line of wild animals and At the center, no, at the left, sitting down, facing me, is Michael, except now she's a small, beautiful, white wolf. She didn't get lost. She left because she had to be free. She had to be in the wild. There was nothing we could have done to stop her. She's with her tribe now, wild animals of the river. Very powerful dream,
1: right.
0: who is this three year old part of me? who is this child, Michael, right? all these layers and layers of exploration, but what I did is I just sort of sat with it i didn't try to pin it down, and that's this Joel Mellet quote about. Don't furrow your brow trying to divine the meaning and the interpretation. Dreams are like butterflies, right? They're that fragile. Just hold it in your hand. If you, if you hold too tight, you will kill it. Hold it in your hand, right? This, this relic of psyche. And I think it was that day or, or a couple days later, I was looking through a box and this little white wolf was in the box it's a plastic cheap little white wolf and I took it and I put it in the bathroom and it's sitting there today sitting on top of a jewelry box and every time I see it of course I think of the dream right and the small girl Michael who had to be free had to be with her wild animal tribe. Mm. And so that's one doable way, right? I didn't write and write and write about it, right? I honored it in some way. And it came to mind too, Victoria, when you were talking about your dream, about the necklace of... There's usually some clue like that in the dream of maybe I want to maybe I want to get a necklace. Maybe I want to make this part of the dream material, you know, maybe I want to bring it into this world as as an honoring, right? As a, as a ritual. And so you can feel like I don't know what you feel right now, but there's just some scintillating shimmery yumminess of making those kinds of connections
1: oh it's such a powerful dream and it it makes me think of the richard Rohr quote that i've shared before that mystery is that which is endlessly understandable mm. And yes, in the dream that I shared, I could have asked, I, I I shared that with you the next morning as well. And you said, what part of you might that friend represent? Like there's always that question. I know some people look mm-hmm. at every figure in the dream is another mm-hmm. part of you, right? Yes. So there's that whole question that I could explore. Yes. Yes. Endlessly explorable. Right,
0: an endless terrain. It's recently in the last year or two dawned on me, and I think it because I read it in a Jungian book. I don't think I, I didn't think of it my own, but it really hit me when I read this. Everest, you know, wants to go to outer space, and he's he's an explorer. He wants to explore what has never been explored before. He wants to go as Far away in the vast universe as he can. And it seemed so different for me until I read this quote about Jung talking about exploring the inner universes and galaxies and landscapes that were endlessly fascinating to him. And I thought, we're both explorers, right? He has this insatiable, endless, beautiful curiosity about the universe and space. And I have this endless, insatiable curiosity about the inner realms that will never be done because it's vaster than we'll ever know and more mysterious than we'll ever know, just like space. Even one dream, one single dream, Mm -hmm. all these layers and all these ways of exploring. And I will say... (laughs) Just say one more – and one more thing because I could talk <laughs> about dreams forever. Um, as I said to you the other day when we were talking about this episode, I do think – and I think this is why Jeremy Taylor ran his workshops in this way, that dreams – um, maybe not the best way to explore because there's so many wonderful ways to explore dreams, but a really potent way to explore dreams is in groups, in community, where – you get to hear lots of people's associations, and it's fascinating because the few workshops I did with him, that first one was very small, but then the next two were large, um, and it was this huge circle. And you would present a dream, and then you'd get, you know, twelve different associations. If this were my dream from a sixty-five-year-old man, if this were my dream from a twenty-two-year-old woman, right, and. Some some of it would most of it wouldn't land. It'd be like, that's really cool and interesting. But it would, but then once in a while something would just go pop pop and land. And there's something very beautiful. And I think um people who are very steeped in dream work, especially these days, will talk about how we are dreaming for ourselves, but also for the collective and in the collective, because there's such a Tumultuous time in our history in the collective, Jeremy Taylor would often bring in that element. And I think there's comfort in that too. Sometimes you have a dream and it's not even your dream. You don't realize that necessarily because we're so schooled in taking everything literally and personally. But there is also that piece of dreaming that it's bigger than you, it's a collective dream, right? And sometimes we would come to those workshops and like several people would have the same dream. And it's just kind of
1: mind-blowing. It's funny because I think a lot of people, when someone is like, oh, let me tell you about my dream last night, people are like, ugh. (laughs) Do I have to sit through this (laughs) fake story that didn't happen and doesn't make any sense? (laughs) So the idea of like really intentionally and soulfully Mm. Together with people to talk about dreams because I think there is actually a hunger for it. A lot of us do that. We there turn is a to hunger. And say, oh, I had this dream, and normally people are like, ugh, <laughs> you know, I, d- I don't want to hear about this. This is going to be sure. boring, and boring. <laughs> for sure. But there's a hunger for it, and so I think that's a great suggestion. There is a
0: hunger for it, and in many indigenous cultures, it's embedded in, it's woven in, Mm. right? And it's one of those pieces that we are bereft of, like rituals, like traditions, right? Like the ways that hold us. And again, that's why it's in the Grace Through Uncertainty course, because it's this forgotten tool that we know we need to pour some attention to. We need to get some attention. We need, like, we're having these dreams, people. Doesn't anybody want to hear? And then Pre, you know, you share it at the, the coffee counter and <laughs> like, I don't freaking know what that tree is. <laughs> you know, because out of context, you know, without – it makes sense to me that sort of like eye roll,
1: mm-hmm.
0: random sharing of a dream because I think dreams in some sense require a ritual space. Mm. They require they're – they're sacred, right? And we treat them – like they're not mm. right but they are these sacred emissaries from psyche that I think is best honored in circle in ritual space right with the candle and with the calling in of the elements and ancestors and the recognition like we are we are actually entering very vulnerable sacred territory when we share a dream
1: so good Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, thank you, Victoria. So glad we finally did this. It was indeed very juicy. (laughs) Endlessly juicy. We could (laughs) juice on forever.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.